Hello again. Welcome to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. Thank you for listening. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named... Ashley Knapp. Hi, Jersey. Hi, Ashley. Long time... I'm trying to think of, like, what's the internet word for friend, where it's like, we've never hung out and watched TV together, but we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, like, it's been a it's I've been a fan of you longer than I've been a fan of Transformers. That's how long it's what? been. What? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, oh, that's funny because I remember. So, like, you, you this is one of those things we're doing. Like, we're we're doing these little break episodes to hear voices of people who participate and interact with the Four Million Years Later podcast. So it's not just me and Hoover all the time, but like hearing from the yeah. other people who who harmonize with our approach to doing this stuff. And you and I have talked on and off about Transformers here and there in our online conversations. And one of the first things I remember you saying, well, not first, but it, a, a relatively long ago statement that you made about something I was doing. I think I was setting up for another podcast to do called the Lena's Artcast, And I was having yeah. trouble with it. And I started cu cussing in Cybertronian. And I was like, what the slag? Yeah. And you said, <laughs> oh, it's so cute when you cuss in Cybertronian. And I'm like... Oh, wait, 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 wait. That, that's like a Beast Wars thing. What's, <laughs> what's, what's Ashley's relationship with Beast Wars? So stepping back, that's like a little anecdote. Yeah, yeah. But I want, I'm, I'm really curious. What was your introduction to, where did, where did you meet Transformers? And what, what was it? What was it about that meeting that made you say like, okay, this is something I'm interested enough to listen to two people talk about it for an hour at a go. Okay, well, like, um... With the thing you talked about with uh, cussing and Cybertronian and slagging, I did see Beast Wars when it was on air when I was a kid. Wow. But back then, I only liked them when they were in animal form. <laughs> so I liked it when Dinobot and Cheetor were a Velociraptor and a Cheetah. And I lost interest the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, I think it was on a, a programming block called the Fox Box back then. I'm not okay. sure. It's kind of hazy. I, but like, I was like, when I watched it, it was called the Power Block at the station I watched, and it was on at like six a.m. It was some obscenely early time for me, being like twenty-one, twenty-two years old. I'm like, oh, oh wow, yeah. <laughs> for me, it was after school. At, I think this is really hazy, but like it came on, but I was just kind of like, come on, come on, I want to see Digimon. So I didn't get into <laughs> Beast Wars back then. My brothers really liked it, but I just like Dinobot. Yeah, um, really, Dinobot. Why? Because I like Velociraptors. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and because of his personality, like I didn't know that back then. I didn't know I was going to have this lifelong obsession with traitors and turncoats. <laughs> but <laughs> that's true. Like, yeah. He he kind of fits the Starscream mold. Well, he breaks it in a lot of ways, but he like starts out being that kind of character where it's like I'm taking over, I'm in command. You're not fit to lead Megatron. And then they yeah. said they took it to the Maximals and had him do that to poor Optimus Primal all the time. Oh that's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, and he, had, he had this really over the top, like really over the top voice too, which is like another thing I always glom onto with the characters that have these really ridiculous <laughs> voices that you just you remember instantly in a heartbeat. That's true. You could do like a, and you know you're talking about Dinobot because he would do that snarl yeah. before Tangler stun guns. You know yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, the first time I came across it, I was like, oh, this is okay. But I didn't super get into it. And then in college, I went to go see my first ever IMAX movie. 
Mm. which was the first ever IMAX movie I ever saw was the Michael Bay Transformers movie. Wow. And yeah, because I, I was from a small town. We barely have one theater, much less than IMAX. But in college, you know, big, big town, big movie theater. Yeah. And it was such a sensory experience. Like that would forever burn the word Transformers into my brain. Just like robots, giant punching. And I was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> Wow. It, well, and you're meeting the Peter Cullen Optimus Prime, who we hadn't seen in a long time at that point. Like, I remember it was like it was a deal that he was in that movie and like the fans were really worked up about it. So, yeah, and I and I didn't go see it. And then you've heard mm-hmm. me talk about why, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. OK, you know, I and I did try to give those movies a, a shot. And it's just like it's not for They're me. Not very good. <laughs> I, I get what I get what they're for. And like, I get yeah. why people find them appealing. But like, I'm well, I mean, on, on the show, Hoover and I've talked like endlessly about this. Like, it's like I'm in it for the really campy childlike characters. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I show up for. And, and like the stories that are about developmental things that young people go through like like for me it's like yeah. it has to be for kids otherwise i'm out and 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 if you want to have your grown-up transformers go for it cool that's it mm-hmm. one of the things i think it's really neat about the franchise it's so malleable you can interpret yeah. it in so like batman like you can have batman in the wild west you can have batman in ancient greece and it always works and i feel like transformers is something that feels that plastic like to pardon the expression mm-hmm. whereas like other franchises don't have that flexibility like we thundercats they've had the devil of a time re- rebooting it and like oh when they yeah, do, yeah everybody gets mad right it's like well, yeah and no matter what they do everyone gets angry <laughs> <laughs> right whereas transformers like you could do a lot with it and that's part of like what i i celebrate about it so yeah i have the the grown-up one too but like the ones i'm gonna get excited about are the ones that are really aimed at 11 year olds so the michael bay movies just like it felt like this is a little too old for my taste mm-hmm. and everything but i, I get it it's just that's fascinating that like that would have like what was it about that story in particular? Do you remember, or was it just like like the fact that like because an IMAX screen is no joke? Like I've I've seen yeah. a couple IMAX movies and like you feel like you're in it when and I can imagine seeing like Optimus that big. Oh, I remember what I was gonna say now. A friend mm-hmm. was trying to convince me to go, and mm-hmm. I said ah, I'm not really interested. And he's like, dude, when you hear Peter Cullen's voice talking Optimus Prime in a big movie theater on those awesome speakers. You will believe it. I'm like, ah, I do buy that. I'm sure that that would work on me, you know, but everything else, I'm like kind of not in on it. But so I imagine that oh, was yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah. The best part of the cinema is the soundtrack for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I saw it and I loved it. And like at this point, I didn't even know Beast Wars and that movie were related because it'd been so long. <laughs> Sure. But I was talking to my friend afterwards about like a couple lines I thought were funny from the movie. And I was like, oh, it's funny how the bad guy told the other bad guy, you disappointed me again. You know, because I like that gag in shows where they call back to something we haven't seen. He's like, oh, that's not a just a joke. That's a reference to the show. And I was like, there's there's a show. (laughs) (laughs) Then I ended up watching in college, I ended up watching G1 and I totally fell in love with it. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I had it in my head that it was Transformers Prime was your entry point, but it was no. G- wow, I said that I really liked Transformers Prime because I watched it as it came out. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, it was it was the Michael Bay movie, and then I went back and I watched G One because my friend explained to me, oh no, they have that dynamic the whole show, and I was like, well, that sounds like fun. <laughs> so, so, so um, this this is where you met Starscream, then? Yeah, that's where I met Starscream. And, can, we, uh, can we dig into that a little bit? 
Sure. Because you you said to me once something about like talking endlessly about Starscream to the point of distraction. Yeah. What is it? What is what is he for you? Well, I think the thing that I really like about him, like I was saying earlier, is like I'm just so into not like that's the wrong word. I'm I like turncoat characters like to a weird degree like in Harry Potter my favorite character isn't the one anyone likes I like Percy Weasley because he betrays his family and in like Star Wars yeah Percy Weasley he's my favorite like I have tons of fan art and stuff for him and like in Star Wars the last three movies my favorite character is General Hux everyone hates Hux but he's my baby like I love him so much and then he he literally turns to the camera and says I'm the traitor yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then like when we were studying Shakespeare I was obsessed with Brutus from Julius Caesar wow. like I draw pictures of him and everything and it's so weird because I'm like such an honest per like oh everyone says they're honest but like I have like no history of any sort of thing like that you know you're not devious is yeah I don't think I am no one's ever accused me of deviousness in fact they're like wow you're super naive yeah, so, right <laughs> but what do you, why oh, do you think that is? What, what, what do you think that it, what is so interesting about the traitor characters? I mean, I, I won't deny it. The traitor character is a super fascinating character. But I'm wondering, like, what that means to you particularly. Like, like is there anything you point to, like, in your worldview or your experience that makes you say, like, this is what rings true to me about that character? Or it, not, maybe not true. Rings interesting. Let's see. Like, I think I realized I like that archetype is in like, uh, in seventh grade, we had to do a semester long project on anybody from the Revolutionary War. And everyone was picking like Paul Revere or George Washington. And I just saw this little book grunging in the corner of Benedict Arnold. And I was no like, way. I gotta, I gotta do this. And so <laughs> <sighs> I think it's because everyone can see that any conflict has two sides and getting a character that ends up being on both sides of it at one point or another just has a lot of dramatic potentials for me. Not mm -hmm. that Starscream ever goes to the Autobots, but he's literally the Decepticon's worst enemy. Yeah. So. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, in, in like the first season, it's like all of the plans get foiled because of him trying to seek his own self-aggrandizement, right? Over and over and over again. Yeah, and I, and I told the story on the show. It's like, like for me as a kid, that that somehow rang out as courage and self-assertion, which was something as a as a, a kid who was like very sensitive and didn't feel very strong and big. It was like, that, well, that's what it looks like after all. I don't know what it looks like. I never felt it myself. I always I've always dithering, going like, is this the right thing? I don't know. Do you know? He knows <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I guess like to have a turncoat, like the dude, the turncoat thing. You either have to have all of the convictions or none of the convictions. You can't be in the middle. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's something certain about it. And, yeah. And I, I think if you're somebody who is like of like gentle of spirit and if you see multiple sides to things, it can be really hard to like go like, no, this is the right thing after oh, all. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but then also I like what you were pointing to also is like this is somebody like a lot of like, turncoat characters can see that there's more to this, that they have, like in the case of Dinobot, he ultimately has a more nuanced view of the war than a lot of the other characters, mm -hmm. right? Once a pred, always a pred. And then Dinobot's like, well, some of us like survived that experience. You know, it's okay that I am a Predacon after all. Um, mm -hmm. And yet he understands what honor is, right? It's like, well, but there's a, there's other lines that shouldn't be crossed, not just this, this made up division that we've come up with called Maximal and Predacon, you know? Yeah. 
So oddly, like a, a traitor character can be a unifying character too, right? Pointing out the flaws of both both worldviews. Oh yeah, because um, they've got a foot in both camps a lot of the time. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, it's not to get into like politics at all, but like I think we all know that we're living in a, a very divided period right now socially and mm -hmm. it's like i get excited whenever we can point to any story that talks about like it's not as simple as us versus them all the time and like the, the, the interdependency and the overlapping pieces of narrative like to show like you know like when we see the decepticons are people and not just mm -hmm. ruthless war machines you know oh yeah like all that like one thing i like about the podcast is you're pointing out all the really cute scenes with rumble i didn't really <laughs> notice the first time i went through or the second time like yeah yeah he's really grown on me now that I'm <laughs> the podcast and rewatching the series again i think that's another fun thing about like fiction for me personally is mm -hmm. is that like i Rumble is somebody that I would not want to spend a day with ever. You know, like he yeah, is. Oh, he's the worst. Yeah, he's a thug. He's a punk. He's a monster. But he's so darn cute in the context of his home, his his dysfunctional home called Decepticon yeah. headquarters, right? If you don't mind me asking, I mean, feel free to like mm -hmm. totally just like say like, eh, not really interested in that question. But yeah. um, it's interesting to me that you went back and watched G One, which was, and this is another thing we've explored on the show a little bit is when it was made, it was uh, explicitly designed for a certain demographic. It was like, we make this for 9 to 12-year-old boys, boys. Now, to give some context to the question I'm about to ask about with regard to this, is that I think if I were a child growing up today, I would probably mm -hmm. fall somewhere in the categorization of gender nonconforming in the sense that mm -hmm. I didn't cherish competition <laughs> you know i i collected strawberry shortcake dolls i was friends with more girls than i was with boys um mm -hmm. i loved playing jump rope like jump rope like when i saw the first time i saw like two girls in my class jump roping and doing those rhymes that girls did back then like s-c-h-o-o-l spells school for 1983 i'm like i want to do that <laughs> that looks like fun it's they're fun. chanting they're chanting <laughs> yeah. together it's like it's like they're just jumping so you know it's like i think I, I got static from that as a kid, but I think mm -hmm. it, it, it also, I sidestepped a lot of that whole, like, well, you can't like this because it's for so-and-so. Because I liked all of it. And it was like, well, if other people like all of it, too, that's that's more friends for me, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I'm curious, as somebody who's a little bit younger than me, mm -hmm. you're encountering this, this, this television show based on a toy line that was made for the specific demographic did did you feel any dissonance at all or was it more like did you just dive in it's like these characters are great and this is fun and you didn't feel like them talking in a way where it wasn't meant for you to hear or anything like that does that make sense yeah yeah i actually wrote notes on this but i wasn't sure if i was going to talk about this stuff but since you brought it up we'll go ahead and we'll chat about it for right. a minute <laughs> excited so like yeah for me as a kid i wasn't super uh, gender conforming either and I actually missed that window of great girls cartoons from the 80s. So like they didn't rerun Strawberry Shortcake or Gem or She-Ra on my networks. It was all boys cartoons. It was all Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Disney Afternoon, which usually starred a boy. Like Darkwing Duck had Goslin, but you know, the rest of the cast was usually guys. Yeah. So like I just had to get used to if I wanted to watch cartoons, it'd have to be cartoons for boys um wow. for, for a long time like i can't really think of any 90s cartoons that were super about about girls 
Um, and right. We had a bunch of them in the 2000. So the notes I wrote about this, right, is like, yeah, I missed all of those. And when I was a when I was a kid, uh, I couldn't relate to the girls in in the groups um, because if you watch a lot of these 90s cartoons, the girl in the group and they did it with the best of intentions. But like she's really smart and she's really strong and she's really charming and she's super sexy. Yeah. And like I was in speech therapy. I was super messy. I got bad grades and those are all boy traits. <laughs> so I could not connect to any of these girls they'd put in the shows. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, like, yeah. I, you know, I look at April O'Neil or like Penny from Inspector Gadget or Linka from Captain Planet. I'd be like, I'm Wheeler. I'm not Linka. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The girl in in the early strong female characters in these shows tended to be like very idealized all around. Like they weren't objects to save. They were really tough and really awesome, oh, really yeah. skilled, really smart. And really beautiful on top of it. Oh man, like how how and, and like when when I think about like the shows I grew up on, like I never I never looked for myself. I wanted to play act through other characters. That was like my my approach to it. it was like in He Man, it's like I didn't want to be He Man because he he's un, un, unreachable. I wanted to be Lizard mm -hmm. Man. Lizard Man's like oh he's, yeah 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 he's he's got the stooped shoulders. He talks weird. He sleeps on a rock. You know, it's like this guy has like it, it, same with Transformers. Like Red Alert, like really appealed to me because like oh, the guy's he's not he doesn't have his act together <laughs> <laughs> he's a mess <laughs> he's, he's, he's a complete mess I, I my my teacher found the homework in my desk that's been there for three weeks and i said i didn't i didn't you know <laughs> i i get it red alert you know yeah so I, i'm with you there and yeah you're right that 90s cartoons you didn't really get that it, it, you're right early early 2000s though it did change a little bit right like with yeah digimon they had a... pokemon Oh yeah, with anime definitely. There was like a flood of anime, and it was like, "What? Oh my god, girls can make mistakes! This is so cool!" <laughs> but like, <laughs> that's good. And I know that those '90s creators were doing it with the best of intentions, and I think it's great that they did that. But mm -hmm. for like ten years, I was just like, "Ah, you know." And like yeah. in 2000, we got a lot of shows that were finally like relatable. Like we got like a whole avalanche of them. We got Brace Face and Pepper Ann and Sabrina oh, and Ann. Told by Ginger and Daria. Yeah. Oh, Pepper yeah, Ann Pepper... was a masterpiece of a Saturday morning oh, cartoon. It's so good. I, I rewatch it show. all the time. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That and um, Recess was another one from that time period that I watched oh, the heck I out of. Oh, I love Recess. Which had all sorts of different female characters on it, right? You had Spinelli mm -hmm. and then you had, I forget what the, Gretchen, right? And like yep. Gretchen was like the, the kind of like aloof weird nerd girl who like didn't seem to have a problem with where she was in the world right and like yeah. spinelli would punch you in the mouth right so <laughs> yeah that was a good period of cartoons powerpuff girls oh yeah powerpuff uh, girls yep yep that was i was gonna talk about like all so for like most of the girl shows that were pretty good most of them were like slice of life comedies, which I like those, but for like action adventure comedies, the only one I can really think of was Powerpuff Girls mm -hmm. and uh, Cyber Six, which is one of the ones that aired next to Beast Wars on my station. Oh, I missed that one. I don't. I, yeah. I might have seen ads for it, but I don't think I've watched that one. Yeah, it's so. pretty good. Uh, if you ever have time, go back and revisit. The music mixing is really bad, but the animation is beautiful. And uh, the villain in it is so good. He's also a turncoat, actually, but <laughs> it's so good. Uh, 
Yeah, another thing about turncoats is like you think about like a turncoat is um, they're one with their motivation, right? Because they can mm -hmm. act, they can act in ways that like there's going to be bad consequences for them or others, but like they they're they're committed to their motivation. Um, that's 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 really funny. Um, and I I love that you also point out like oh the music mixing's not that great. Like that's exactly the kind of like conversations <laughs> that I love having with like cartoon nerds. Like I love this thing so much. This part's not very good to look at, but I love everything about it. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I think that. Yeah, oh, go sorry. Go ahead. No, I I, oh. I want to hear more about like what you were what you were talk about like in terms of, like your relationship with these action adventure shows when you were young. So like for the action adventure shows, I liked all of them, but I just identified with male characters. So I'd be Donatello and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Ranger. I was like Goldar is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Goldar is amazing. He talks like uh. a wrestler, and he's he's a with a sword <laughs> and a monkey tail and a monkey tail and a blue lion face that show like was just it was so profoundly imaginative that like mm -hmm. and like when they got into later, later seasons when goldar moved in with rito revolto and oh, like that's my favorite <laughs> and like they're hanging out with bulk and skull now they're not scared of him anymore and they're all kind of living oh, out yeah. of a trailer kind of thing oh my gosh that was so good uh, yeah, yeah my just... husband will rewatch that every once in a while, and I'll kind of tune out until he gets to that set of episodes, and they'll be like, hey, what's going on in here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that show became a little self-aware at that point, but, but yeah. what about Gold what was it about Goldar in particular for you? Uh, he wasn't as scary as Lord Zed, yeah. but he wasn't as unachievable as actually being a ranger. <laughs> so he's kind of like, he's powerful and cool and lives on the moon, but... He messes up all the time so oh that's so funny so i want to see if we could chart your course through the g1 cartoon so now you're watching the g1 cartoon and you're a young mm -hmm. adult you're in college what mm -hmm. what's what what's happening to you while you're watching this like what's what's your relationship with the show was it like oh this is camp or is it like oh i see like the the, the groundwork that the movies were building off of like how did you feel about it it was pretty cool. Like uh, when I first started, it was cool connecting them to the movies and being like, oh, this and this and this and this, you know, that was the reference to that. This is this character. The problem being that then it ruined the movies for me because I fell in love with the characters so much. <laughs> but and there was a couple characters that um, really stood out to me, like on the Autobots. My favorite is definitely uh, Perceptor. Like I always notice when he's in an episode just because his alt form is so weird yeah and like you talked about in the last episode where he's like i you know i got work to do here i you know not everybody's a warrior and uh yeah he really yeah. stood out to me you well it, it, it what a thing to turn into too right it's like okay well yeah. let's scan for alt modes what are you going to turn into i'm going to turn into an awesome jeep and i can ride over everything that i want to what are you going to turn into i'm going to turn into a cute beetle so that everybody likes me okay that's nice what are you going to turn into perceptor i'm going to turn into a microscope what a microscope <laughs> doesn't do anything it just looks tiny things i know <laughs> <laughs> and they, they don't they don't even look cool like microscope is like it's like you're, you're turning into like the most awkward machine you could possibly oh, yeah. turn into right yeah it's, that's why i love him <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing yeah i i've i've always had a fondness for perceptor i wouldn't put him in like a, like a top 10 or anything but I, i've always liked him uh, and yeah, we you were referring to the episode we did of Microbots, which I, yep. I, I spent a good amount of time talking about like my childhood relationship with that particular story and like what Perceptor meant. 
But okay, Perceptor is a favorite Autobot. Starscream, Decepticon. Yeah, and I have two others. Uh, well, actually, three other Decepticons. I like Starscream a lot, and I also uh, like Soundwave and Shockwave, just because Soundwave, you know, like you've said, is the mama of the group. And <laughs> Shockwave. Yeah, Shockwave I liked more because of how he was in the comics because I started reading the comics after I started uh, no watching way. the show. No mm-hmm. way! Oh my gosh, Ashley, I had no idea that you were so deep into this stuff. Oh, that's so <laughs> yeah. cool. Did, did you, so you read the American run of the Yeah, I read, a, I read a good chunk of it. I don't know where I stopped, but it was like a good six, seven months I was reading them. So Wow. So the logical shockwave, the, the, well, the yep. treacherous shockwave, because the, it's the logical. Exactly. You yep. got me. <laughs> <laughs> I like him in the show, too, but more for the reasons that you guys were joking about, where he's just like, Megatron, come back. It's you. <laughs> I'm still here. Um, Cybertronism has changed. And not count. And so um, the only one I like or really remember from the ones that were added later, like the second or third run, is Astrotrain. And uh, I love Astro Train just again because he's he gets kind of weird later on in the later seasons, and he's so mean to Starscream. Like every single time they bump into yeah. each other, he's so nasty to him when he really takes him down a peg. So yeah, like in uh, the God Gambit when he basically mm-hmm. like shuts down. I think it's is it Thrust? I think Thrust and Starscream, or is it? Yeah, it's Thrust and Starscream go to like Titan, Jupiter's moon. And like, yep. and like, and Starscream's like the number two guy, right? Like he's the mm-hmm. the second in command of the Decepticons. And Astrotrain's like, yeah, well, Megatron's not here, so you shut up, you know. And like, Starscream's <laughs> like, okay, I will, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Any other Autobots that stand out to you that you think of like very with fondness? I'm learning to appreciate them from your coverage. Oh, but really? to be totally honest, Perceptor was like the only one that really stuck to me. And I like Bumblebee, of course. Like I like the Bumblebee live action movie that came out like two oh, years ago a lot. I rewatched it, so it like good. six or seven times. It's so good. I love Charlie and I love the plot I and I love the special effects and the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, everything about that. Like it, they they made it well, I mean, they made it all about Bumblebee, first of all. And Bumblebee was being mm-hmm. Bumblebee. He's like he's he's small, cute, and brave. And he loves yep. the humans, right? And like that part when Charlie's like, "Okay, I gotta go up the tower and do the thing," and Bumblebee plays, "I would hate anything to happen to her" by the Smiths. That that mm-hmm. that that lyric, and it's just like, oh, that's exactly that's so what you're sweet. supposed to do. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> super sweet, and yeah, he's gonna kill the bad guy in like a really really brutal way, but only because he has to. He doesn't want to. Yeah. He, he has to because Charlie's in trouble, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like I like Bumblebee, I like Perceptor, and like I like what Optimus Prime is about, you know, but. Mm-hmm curious did you make it through season three too then yeah i made it through most of season three uh by then my interest started petering off a little bit but i do have like i don't know if it's one episode with two really different parts or two different parts and two different episodes but a season three the biggest thing i remember is i oh i I like blur actually i do like blur oh Um, yeah yeah i could see that (laughs) (laughs) he's He's awkward. He's nervous, and yeah, he's he's. You got to shut him down because his his racing mind. Like I, I actually call like when my 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 anxious mind takes over. It's like my angry John Machida voice or my angry Micro Machine Man <laughs> voice. I'm like, he's at it again. He's talking a million miles an hour, and he's got nothing but bad news, you know. And I <laughs> just sitting here trying to enjoy your ice cream, and your blur voice is like, you're like, stop! I just want to eat my butter pecan. But I got eighty more things that are wrong in the world. No. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but the the one you remember that is like part 
you remember either part two parts of two different ones or two parts of one yeah like my favorite my favorite scenes in season three um one of them is when not megatron is on like the therapy planet or whatever oh, yeah. he just ends up wrecking the whole place <laughs> Yeah, Web World. Yeah, with Cyclonus. Yeah, Web World. Cyclonus signs yeah. up Galvatron for therapy, and that's like yes. the whole episode. Yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes. I really remember that one. Yeah, not sure if I'm going to show that one to my kid quite yet, but I remember <laughs> that one really well. It's kind of scary. And then the other one is just a scene I remember, and maybe I dreamed this, but it's so weird. Like one of the robots is arguing with somebody else, and they trick him into turning himself into a tree. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah, that's oh, that's that, real. That's season okay. two. That's season two, and it's called Sea Change. It's it's Sea Change, and in the scene, um, there, Sea Spray it goes to this underwater place with oh, he's with Bumblebee, and th there's this pool. It's a transformation pool. If you go into it, you can become whatever you imagine. And like Sea Spray mm -hmm. falls in love with this girl, and so he becomes a person, like a human, for a while. And then Rumble falls in the lake, and then he's like, "What's happening to me?" And they're like, "Just imagine a tree. Imagine a tree." And he's like, "Okay, I'm imagining it." And he turns into a tree. And he's like, "What? Why'd you do this to me?" And like, <laughs> I don't remember, but I think they leave him like that. <laughs> I think I think they do. I'm horrified. <laughs> Afterwards, like, wait, the episode never fixed him. It's still a tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know where that falls in the episode order. I don't know how soon Hoover and I are going to get to that one. But, yeah, that, that's some of the wild stories that get in this season, too. But, oh, we were going to talk about The Girl Who Loved Power Glide, and I was curious about you bringing that one up in particular. So the reason I mentioned that one is I, I started watching the episodes you hadn't covered yet. Mm -hmm. And I saw a bunch of my favorites. Like, I really like like a Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court, the God Gambit, which you, you know, talked about an Autobop. Yeah. And this one, those are like the four I quote the most. Really? And because, yeah. And because the other three are like two of them are Starscream episodes. So I know you and Hoover have those covered. Yeah, <laughs> I see. Autobob's pretty good, but I thought I'd like to talk about this one just because it's kind of sounded like you weren't super big on it, like the couple times that you alluded to it. Okay. So I was like, okay, he's not super into it. So I think I'd like to talk about this one a little bit and tell him what I like about it. And Very cool. Maybe poke I, some I, I'm in. fun at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm super in. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about this one is because it comes back to what you were talking about earlier with like the, the gender stuff. Yeah. And there was one character in the 90s that I was super into. Like, I was all about her. And it was Angelica from Rugrats. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You're always into the troublemakers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, so the thing that I loved about her is because she was so relatable. Like, the Brat character is so relatable because she doesn't care what anybody else thinks about her. And she doesn't have to be good at anything. She just has to be her worst self and, like, put her will out into the world. <laughs> it's like liberating the same way Starscream is. Like, yeah. Starscream's so terrible, and you love That's... to watch him. Yeah, And so right. when you get someone like Angelica, she's so awful, and everyone hates her, and she doesn't care. She's like... I want yeah. what I want. And she stomps her foot. And it's so, it pushes against so many of the expectations you have as a little girl. Cause it's always like, be quiet, be considerate, help out. Yeah. This and, this. and those are good traits. They're good traits, but uh -huh. they become frustrating when they're not evenly applied. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and if those things are adhered to 
rigorously or without uh, context or thoughtful application, it becomes a straitjacket, right? Yeah. And and there's there's a time and place to actually, you know, I just honest and for true, I came across. I follow the Mister Rogers quotes Twitter account mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, and like honest and for true, just yesterday. Uh, the, the tweet came up and it said, it's okay to be angry. And I was like, bless mm-hmm. you for saying that. Because like, I am one of those people where like, when I express anger openly, I feel really uncomfortable and often very ashamed. Like, like, oh, no, yeah. that's not what nice people do. Nice people don't raise their voice like that. And like, well, mm-hmm. but actually like there's time where anger is absolutely appropriate, right? Like somebody's mm-hmm. crossing a line. That's the time. And, and oh, I, I yeah. imagine like you're you're right. You're talking about like like gender stereotypes. Like, well, women should be you know sensitive, kind, nurturing, et cetera, et cetera. I could see how it'd be liberating to watch a girl on the screen and be like, no, guess what? F you. I'm gonna do this my way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't like I, that? I, That's too bad. <laughs> I had this. Uh, like, I loved her so much that like even in like fourth grade, which is like too old to do it, but I did it anyways. They had this big pink angelica backpack and i bought that thing and i wore it like as a badge to be like i might be a brat too you know think twice before you get in my way <laughs> and i wasn't like i was just a quiet little shy girl but i was like yeah what now grade was this know. fourth grade oh that's amazing <laughs> yep oh I remember one time one of my friends gave me static about it. And I was like, yeah, your backpack looks like it belongs to a grandma. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. But some girls on power glide, you said like, this gets into some of that gender stuff. Cause yeah, I was thinking about that when you mentioned, I'm like, that's an interesting one. Cause I feel like Astoria, the girl Mm -hmm. in the story is actually a pretty amazing character. Like when Megatron is like trying to interrogate her and be like, I'm scary. Megatron's like, if you say so, you know, and he's like, like, I do say so, you know, it's like, it's, it's wonderful to watch how frustrating that is for him to see somebody who's just not, not having it. But her romance with power glide feels very dated. It feels like it's Mm. older than the eighties. It feels like this is his girl Friday or like, uh, it happened one night. I love his girl Friday. I love it. happened. So do I. But I'm just yeah. saying that that dynamic doesn't feel like it travels well into the 21st century. Like I get mm-hmm. it in the context of like Clark Gable yelling, "Stop that balling!" <laughs> you know. <laughs> and when he says to her mom, her husband, her father at the end of the, the movie, he's like, "She needs somebody to give her a punch in the jaw every day, whether she deserves it or not." And I'm like, "Okay, you didn't mean that, right?" <laughs> Yeah, but like, but you get it. You get the romance of it in the context of what it is, right? Like, and yeah, Mm -hmm. I love those movies too. But like, it feels like that episode is clearly pointing right at those movies, right? Oh yeah, like when I was in college watching this for the first time, it was basically just Cartoon Network, old videos on my laptop of old cartoons, and Turner Classic Movies. It was just those three on constant rotation. So when I saw that episode, I was just like, oh yeah, it's this. That's what they're referencing. Is this thing over here? Now, why couldn't I have gone to college with you and we could have had a big stack of grilled cheese sandwiches and just had, just watched that? Oh, oh that would have been awesome. <laughs> Maybe a little MST3K, too, but then, yes. Oh, my those... gosh. I love Mystery Science Theater 3000. My husband hates it because he loves those monster movies unironically. So he's like, these are amazing movies. Why do I have to talk through them? Because <laughs> it's funny. I'm on both of your sides on that one, yes. Yeah. I, I watch them both for the same reason. I love Gamera unironically, and I love to watch people make fun of how silly Gamera is as a, as a movie. 
Oh but, yeah. But anyway, so okay, the where do you want to start with uh, the girl love power glide? We kind of touched on a few like little high points of it, but. Okay, I think it's great that you brought up the screwball comedies. Um, like I said, that's like immediately my brain went went there instead of like going, oh, this is sexist or problematic. I was like, oh, this is a screwball comedy. And because I had that context, I was able to just get into it right away. Yeah. And I think the thing about the screwball comedy generally, and this episode specifically, is that uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but like in the 90s, the girl character was pretty and all the guys would drool over her and pursue her and try to impress her. But in a screwball comedy, the girl's like, I'm going to get you, you know? That's <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, what's the, I forget the actress's name and it happened one night, but it starts out with like, it's contentious. She doesn't, she's not really into him, but then by the end, she's super into him to the point where like, she doesn't tell him that she's, I forget what it was like. She's she's giving up the marriage because she really mm-hmm. wanted to marry him, but she she's too prideful to tell him that she wants to marry him, and he doesn't know until her dad corners him like, "Do you love her?" And he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> but don't don't blame me for it or something like that." It's like I'm screwed up too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's a really interesting observation. And yeah, like Astoria is like super into Power Glide, but also she's ready to call him out and like when he's being yep. a pig or not a pig, a boar, you know? Yeah, like. Yeah, she she wants him, but she's not willing to change herself to get him. You know, she's just like bratty. Like she's about everything else kind of. She's just like, I want this Dom's foot. We're gonna figure this out. And um, she's not shallow though. And um, we'll get to that later in the plot. But she's not really shallow or anything. So you want to walk us and... through it? Do you want to oh, walk? Sure, I can. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know if you were gonna go through the whole plot or. But yeah, go where you want to go, and I'll follow. Okay. So. Um... Like the thing I like about, we get introduced to her at this birthday party. And the thing that I love about it is it's so age inappropriate. Like she's like clearly at least an older teen, if not a total adult. Yeah. And she has all these old men wearing silly hats and getting angry at them for not enjoying the children's birthday party. Yeah, that's true. It kind of makes me think like maybe Astoria is like a little atypical neurologically. (laughs) Like maybe there's something going on there. And I love that. Like, I love the fact that she's like, eh, human boy, blah, robots, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of consistent through the episode. It's not like she's just childish here. And then she's like super mature later on. This kind of silliness and this dizzy dame attitude goes on for the whole thing. So, and, uh. I think the other thing I like about this is that it could get weird really fast if they picked like a popular transformer to be the object of her 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 uh, attention. Yeah. Like if it'd been about like Starscream or, or Bumblebee or one of the popular ones, it'd be kind of weird. But the fact that they picked Power Glide, who I don't really know, but I don't I've never heard of him being on anyone's top five list. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It oh makes it all about the story and not like a weird self-insert fanfic or something. It's like, this right. is purely the plot. It would be different if it was Sideswipe, right? Or like... Yeah, it would be way different. Yep. Oh my gosh. Good good eye. And the scene there is really cool and they have like cool fight scenes and everything, but I'm sure you guys will cover that better than I will. Uh, but I do like the fact that it's so Jet-centric because Jets are my favorite alt mode. Like, I've been in lockdown all year and the only place I've gone is an air museum. Oh man. <laughs> Wow. So all the jets are just like, oh, I'm so happy. This is so cool. I love jets. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. And 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 it's like Thruster and Ramjet are trying to kidnap her. And who chases them off? Power Glide, this little plane. 
right? And yeah. like, I think Megatron even says something to that effect in the episode. It's like, you let a plane beat you, you know? Yeah. And, and I've always loved that too. Like, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm always a sucker for like a little tiny robot doing something amazing, you know. And and Power Glide was physically smaller in the show and in the toys, right? He was like the, the three dollar toy, and the 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 jets are fifteen dollar toys, right? So, so I love that whole sequence. And then my other favorite bit, and I quote this one all the time, is when Astoria is hanging out with Spike, and this calls back to something that happened earlier with like Carly and Bumblebee. <laughs> Yeah. But Spike starts flirting with her real hardcore, you know. And she's just like, okay, okay, where's Power Glide? <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh so hard. Like, I love Spike, but just, yeah. she's like, I'm not interested. I'm here for the robots. Right. And then when he like sulkily turns around, he's like, well, there's some things he can't do. <laughs> I lose it like every time. I quote that all the time. I do not remember that line, but I believe it's in there. And oh my gosh, that's amazing that they buried that in there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I like movies that have jokes for parents and kids, but I don't like it when the joke doesn't land with a kid at all. Like they're like, I don't understand it. You know, that yeah. was purely a joke for the grownups. Yeah. I like this line because the kid's like, well, yeah, you're right. There's some things a plane can't do. Right. But if you're an adult, you're like, oh, haha. -ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I am so with you, Ashley. I am a thousand percent in that corner where it's like, I don't like it if they're gonna make some kind of reference to like the Carter administration and the parents mm -hmm. get to go, ha, 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 ha. we're so great because we got that joke at our four-year-old. Then why would your four-year-old get that joke? Right? It's about something yep. that existed long before they were born. They don't have the context. But if you can craft it so that both of them chuckle at the same time in their own way, that's that's craftsmanship, and I love it. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. I, I forgot about the scene with Spike flirting with her. But, yeah, I remember now that you mention it. And, oh, poor Spike. Poor Spike. I know. But I, it, it, it actually, like, it's like Carly being into Bumblebee. It's like, well, Spike, come on. Come on, it's Bumblebee. Right? Yeah. But Power Glide is like, he's like the biggest bragger in the Autobot army. Like, he's the guy walking around saying his name all the time. That's kind of oh, yeah. hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I love that part. And then um, you were mentioned this earlier, but the whole sequence when she's with Megatron is just pure gold to me. So and it reminds me of, uh, it's actually, it's really funny because this is almost the exact same plot of my favorite, well, not my favorite, one of my favorite episodes of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Oh. Yeah. And like that, the, that episode is called Dog and Pony Show. And it's Rarity gets abducted by the diamond dogs because they want her to harvest gems for them. <laughs> and she basically annoys them into releasing her. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Rarity is like so self-possessed and so oh, yeah. unapologetically herself. Right. <laughs> and and she's, not, uh, she's not easily intimidated either. So, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and she's, you know, she she's fancy and stuff like Astoria is, but she's also not shallow. Like, she can get stuff done when she needs to. Right. And what I like about that, I could probably watch that plot in, like, a hundred different cartoon shows, but what I like about that seed of the plot is the idea that, like, if you get stuck with bad people, you could outwit your way of the situation, like, outwit your way. No, you don't outwit yourself. You can get out of the situation. <laughs> you can get out of the situation. <laughs> Just by being the worst version of yourself. <laughs> like, you don't. <laughs> That's good. 
you don't have to be a martial artist like Kim Possible or a genius like Penny. You can just be obnoxious. It's such a (laughs) soothing fantasy to a child because the world's really scary, you know? That's true. No, that's um, a very good point. And, and, you know, like in, in a child's world, most of the time, like especially when you're in school or in some place where the, the, the adults are in charge, but there's rules of conduct. There's a code of conduct. And if you have like a little extra latitude in that, you can breach that code of conduct to a much greater degree than the grownups can, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could be a truly insufferable little monster and there's really not going to be any more consequences than we're calling your parents. <laughs> yeah. We give up. <laughs> Right. Yes. And then you get out of the bad situation. So. <laughs> That's true. That's good. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, that, that oh. whole scene with Megatron trying to extract the secret, whatever secret, like there's some secret of an energy formula that I think we find mm-hmm. out is in her necklace that her father yeah. gave her or something. Yeah. And and uh, I don't think they know that yet. Or, or if they do, they're trying to. I they think, think it, it's in her brain. That's right. Yeah, and and so he's like, I'm gonna scare her. And she's like, No, you're not. <laughs> he's like, But but I'm Megatron. You scare, I scare you. You know, no, you don't. How about that? What do you think about it? And he doesn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think at one point they try to hook her up to some machine, and then they get electrocuted because she has. Yeah, she's a jinx. That's right. Machines yeah. always fail around her, which is also kind of interesting that they like put that in for this story about a girl as a romance with a robot. Right. Yeah, it's super ironic. Like, it's yeah. ironic her dad is in charge of this, like, electronics energy company, and she's a total jinx, and then she ends up falling for a robot. And Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. So then you get beyond that, and I, I think they're, like, on some kind of, like, giant, like, sky platform kind of thing. Oh, it's so airship. cool! Yeah. yeah, it's it's a giant floating platform, and it just, it looks really cool, and, like, the whole action sequence in this section is pretty cool, too, with all the like special effects animation and you see that like she's so she's so feisty like she won't be trampled over and she when she comes down to saving power glide she's just like okay bye necklace bam like yeah that's right yeah she even says something like like like, goodbye dad or thanks dad she's like yeah she she makes him a, a a verbal note that her father gave that to her and like she was entrusted to it and she's throwing that away this inheritance this this promise this boon She's throwing mm-hmm. it away to save this guy that she's crazy about. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. It, yeah. There's, there's that moment, too, where, like, the, the, the floating platform is falling, and Power Glide's, like, trying to get it working again. And he looks at her, and he's like, it's you! And he throws her <laughs> out of the room. And, like, you see the Funny. door to the room, and you see her fly by. And then, okay, you just threw a woman. It was, like, like a third your size. Like, there's all sorts of problems with this. Now we're all looking at her like, what's going to happen? And she's like, I ought to slug you. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like she is, yeah. her hair's not even messed up. She's just like, yeah, that happens. But I'm, I've got some for you, pal. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's not intimidated by him at all. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes the His Girl Friday so satisfying is just the tit for tat, you know? Yeah, it really, it really does. And, and same with It Happened One Night. Like, you're right. Those screwball comedies, the fun of it is watching the I don't want to say the battle of sexes because I don't think it's that I think I, it's, it's that's what they call it in film film class it's, it's the battle of the sexes is it okay yeah. so like because I, I when I think of things like that, I think of like the Hepburn and uh Tracy movies right mm-hmm. where there's a little bit more about gender roles being explored like Pat and Mike um yeah but like in the in the ones we're talking about I it feels like it's more well I guess there's like a little bit of feminine wiles being used in there but in his girl Friday it's just like she is every bit is 
intellectually competent and conniving as Cary Grant's mm-hmm. character, right? And she's every yeah. bit as speedy at him as, as he is at like, you know, processing the moment. And but that was also part of like the rhythm of that movie too, wasn't it? Where they like they wrote it in such a way where the dialogue can overlap, so you're getting like yes, boom, twice boom, the boom, script. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the uh and the podcast i listened to to get ready for this i think they said something like that movie has like in some sections 200 words per minute it just goes 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 so oh my gosh yeah i believe it it's it's a it's an auditorially dense movie you can really watch it multiple times and still get new stuff right oh yeah um, what I like about the sequence where she throws her necklace into the energy field or, or whatever is that they foreshadowed that she was going to do that earlier. And this is a really goofy scene, but I, I get where they're coming from, where earlier where Power Glide gets injured, right? And they're stuck in the middle of nowhere and she rips up her dress. Yeah. So they're establishing right there. She doesn't really care about all this stuff, like all the material stuff. She's willing to get rid of it to help someone else. And yeah. so even though she's a brat and she's an heiress, she's not shallow or materialistic. She just, she knows what she likes and she knows when she doesn't like something and she has no problem speaking out to that. Which, yep. yeah, given everything we've talked about today, I could see why that'd be very appealing to you. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> That's basically it. And the part from this that I always quote is like, it's like the, I don't know, one of the funniest scenes in Transformers to me is that Power Glide's trying to get the the air station to work or whatever. All the Decepticons have fled back down to, as you guys call it, Decepticon under the sea. Right. And, you know, they had the, the story on Power Glide evacuate. And Megatron, they cut to Megatron and Soundwave underground. You know, Megatron's chuckling, ha, 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 ha. You know, they'll have to deal with that. That's their problem. Yeah. And Soundwave's like, actually, it's our problem. It's going to fall on us. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. And then, this is my favorite. This is my favorite. He's like, he's like energize the force field. <laughs> what force field? <laughs> like, such perfect timing. Yeah. That is good. And like it, it almost points to it's like, I told the Constructicons, I told them. They said it would be done by Wednesday. And they didn't Soundwave didn't get the memo. It's not done. And now, yeah, like this doesn't it end with Megatron saying, like, uh, attention Decepticons, clean up this mess. Yeah, that's how they of... end it. All right, all right. Yeah, you sold me on it. That's one that I don't I didn't remember having a lot of fondness for, but there's a lot of like really good writing in that one. And that's something I just, I keep finding how surprised I am coming back to it as a grown up is like, I just remember that period of my teen years where I just like loathed every human in that series. I was like, oh, another episode of humans. Everyone goes through that. (laughs) Yeah. I feel, yeah. I feel like that's almost a rite of passage, right? It's like, like Miko in Transformers Prime. Like I was surprised when I found out that so many people didn't like her. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's Mm -hmm. like the most amazing. When she puts her hand on that apex armor, like I was shouting at the screen, like do it, Miko, do it, do it. And she gets the armor on and like, oh, that's the greatest thing ever when Starscream sees her in that armor, you know? Um, oh, yeah, he's like, ah! <laughs> so good. Yeah. And I actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm buddies with Rafael Rosado, who's one of the storyboard artists on that show. And mm-hmm. poor, poor Raf, he's, he's heard me talk too much about that television show. <laughs> but he's like, he's like, look, I liked working on it, but like, I don't, I don't think I like it the way you like it. But he, I was asking about that, about Starscream's, like, very effete movements. And he's like, oh, well, I was thinking of Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. And, like, oh, the pain, the pain. Oh, yeah. And once, you, once he said that, I was like, oh, now yeah, I see that in every scene with Transformers Prime Starscream. He's, like, always doing that, like, that kind of, like, 
ham-fisted sort of squ squelching and shrinking. So I'm, I'm curious to, to, if we, I don't want to, I want to respect your time. I only have like a couple little ones left to talk okay. about. One of the things that Hoover and I have been like exploring on the series is like what qualities we would point to to say like this is like a platonic ideal of a Transformers episode for us, right? Mm -hmm. And I and I say that not not to be non-committal to my ideas, but more to acknowledge the fact that like look, I know that not everybody's coming to this thing because they want to watch Bumblebee play video games with Spike. Like that's what I'm showing up for. I want more of that, and I I know that's not everybody's bag, right? Like, everybody's got their own angle to this thing. So do you have a sense of, like, of your favorite episodes? Like, are there any common denominators that you would say, like, oh, ones I like tend to have these three things in them? Okay, uh, let's see. I thought about this a little bit earlier. So I think looking at the favorite ones that I have, like the, the, the King Arthur one, Triple Changer Takeover, God Gambit. I like the Atlantis one and uh, Autobop. Mm -hmm. Like, absurdness is definitely one of my favorite things. I want to, like, if they can replace them with humans, the episode fails. It has to be humans in giant robots or just weird things involving giant robots that can only happen with giant robots. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the more the contrast becomes evident the better it is like, like when blaster is tied to that gigantic wall of speakers because like yes. that was the, that was the symbol of auditory excess from in the 80s was having like gigantic hi-fi speakers yeah yeah i like that i like it when there's a strong uh strong human character like that really sticks out either because they're really funny or really weird so mm. like i like the atlantis one because i like the atlanteans and I like the one with Dr. Archibald because what was going on with that? I like, you know, the design and the robot arm and everything. Yeah. And I like Triple Changer Takeover because this poor football coach just gets screamed oh. at the whole episode. And he's just You're doing right. his best. He, he keeps throwing him in the locker afterwards. Yep. He just pulls him out and the coach just like stammers a football play at him. The long bomb. I don't know. Anything. Just let me out. <laughs> And he's like, like Blitzwing doesn't even acknowledge the fact this guy's terrified. He's always like, good strategy. Throws him in the locker and shuts it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you really get to see the like alienness of the Transformers with the humans. And I don't know if that's because I saw the IMAX movie first. So like, I'm always thinking, wow, they're big, but. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. So... That, that, that size doesn't get explored as explicitly in that many episodes. It happens, you know. But, like, I feel like the movies, like, they were really trying to show you. I, the scenes I remember is, like, looking up from a human point of view at the robots doing stuff, which really yeah. emphasizes, oh, that's what it would feel like to live in Optimus Prime's house, you know? You don't get all the shots in the, the G1 show tend to be, like, three-quarter down shots, so you're not getting that size or that, that um, perspective of Spike, mm -hmm. right? You get it sometimes, and when it happens, I get really excited, but... Transformers Prime, I think, did a good job of that, too. Like, really, oh, like, shooting yeah. shots down from, like, Jack and Miko and Roth's uh, vantage point. Yeah, but. I think they did a really good job of that in, in that show, too. Yeah. And I guess the last thing is I just like the quotable, like, the quotable funny dialogue. Um, yeah. The exchanges and the banter. I like the serious episodes, too. But if it's funny, I remember it for a lot longer. Same. Yeah. Very much so. And like it, when it when it's actually really funny and not just silly, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about the Decepticon Greater in King Arthur's Court. There's that amazing scene when Rumble walks into the room with the calcium nitrate 
He's like, I got you, calcium nitrate. It's a bucket of bird poo, you know? And he's, <laughs> and he's covered in bird poo, and he's just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, whenever you can show like the the later moments of this ongoing civil war aspect. And I think I think that's something that I felt like the new Bumblebee movie had more of that than mm-hmm. what we've gotten in the past. Um not in the war scenes. The war scenes were all like war, but like the part when Bumblebee's like trying to navigate Charlie's house when she's not home. Yeah, but he's trash in the living room. <laughs> yeah. It's great physical comedy. Yeah, it's really good. And and it's like he's clearly not doing it on purpose. He's just he's in the mm-hmm. wrong place, right? Yep, giant uh, robot, tiny house. I feel like we've kind of talked a- around a lot of this idea, too. Like, my last thought was, like, just, like, what do you, like, something that I get excited about is, like, what do these shows provide me as a quote-unquote young person who is, mm-hmm. you know, like, we did, um, you know, Megatron's Master Plan. One of the things that, like, in it, I don't know if you remember this episode, but, like, uh-huh. um, yeah, this 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 wild, rich guy conspires with the Decepticons to tarnish the Autobots image and like society flips on a dime. And it's like Optimus walks out of the courthouse and everybody's throwing tomatoes at him, you know? And the thing that really struck me when I watched that as a child is like, I don't know what the word is for this, but as an adult, I'm like, Oh son, that's dignity. You're watching dignity happen. This is what people do when they're in the presence of people who are not behaving rationally, but they refuse to, you know, get swept up in it. And they they, mm-hmm. they keep their cool and they keep their principles and they keep moving, you know. As an 11-year-old, I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I think that's good. That's what good looks like. And I got to, like, I got to aim in that direction, right? So, like, for me, like, something I celebrate about the series is, like, that kind of thing. Like, when it gives me the, this gift that helps me navigate a very confusing world, Mm-hmm. Is there anything that like you point to like do you get anything like that out of the, the the episodes that you particularly enjoy like yes the comedy yes the characters but is there any other like like nurturing aspect of it for you well, It's okay if it's just entertainment too I just wanted to ask Well I'm thinking about it a little bit and I guess like in a broad sense not so much with G1 but just in general with older cartoons um I think it's great that they had those examples to live by in them. Cause like, I don't know, like if you're in a really good household, maybe you don't need those examples cause you're getting demonstrated them by the people around you. Yeah. But like, if you're in like kind of a broken home, Optimus Prime might be your only father figure. Yeah. So like, I think it's so important to have, and it's great. These cartoons are streaming in now so you, you can get to them even if you, uh, you know, you were born five years ago. But just these great demonstrations of how to act in the face of adversity or frustration. And with Starsky, we have little like anti-lessons of how not to act, <laughs> what not to do, Yeah, which is also informative. Or, or in the case of Angelica, it can be like, well, maybe it's okay for you to push the bubble every once in a while and assert yourself in a situation. Maybe don't stamp your foot. But yeah. you know, Angelica is not inherently unlikable, right? No. Yeah, it, it, she's just it, at a different stage of development than the other Rugrats. That that too, yeah, for sure. You know, I I, I had well, as you know, I I go to He-Man conventions on purpose, and I mm-hmm. I met um one of the writers of an episode called Not So Blind, where mm-hmm. in the end of the episode, He-Man like he his life gets saved by this blind kid named Luce, and in mm-hmm. and in the end, Luce is telling the story to the other kids in his neighborhood, and they're like, "You're a liar. There's no way you helped He-Man." And then He-Man shows up, and he's like. I want to thank you for saving me. And the kids are like, what? And then he's, and then he turns just before he leaves, he turns, and he says, Luce, is it okay if I ask you for help next time I need it? 
Luce is like, oh, anytime, He-Man. And that I, I internalize that to the point where it's like, that's something I employ in my classroom, where it's like, I need mm-hmm. to show these young people that I need them as much as they need me, right? It's a two-way mm-hmm. street. And if they help me, I'm going to call it out, and I'm going to ask them, can I count on you for help again? And so I go to talk to this writer of this episode, and I'm like, I just wanted you to know that what you did in that episode had such an effect that I'm doing this, like, you know, multiple times a year in my classroom with students all the time. It was very profound. It was very helpful. I know that you were probably just writing a script, just trying to do a job, but it, it matters, and it matters, like, 35 years later, you know? And he's mm-hmm. like you would not believe how many people tell me this. Like, so many people come up to me and tell me that, like, these shows were guidance for people who didn't have a lot of good examples, you know? Yeah. And so, like, it was both, like, both encouraging and also heartbreaking at the same time. So I'm like, it's cool cool he's getting that message, but it's like, oh, that sucks that, like, that many people, like, needed it, you know? Oh, yeah. But I think that... uh... That's just, it's, it's deep, so I'm thinking about it for a minute before I keep sure. going. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was doing more of that intellectual stumbling that Hoover usually edits out of the episode. <laughs> and it could get no, kind I, of, could get going for a while. I mean, no, that's what we were talking about, right? Like, it being a guiding light. I mean, it's good that it's funny and that it's exciting and it has, like, these cool scenes with jets flying through the city and stuff. But the fact that, like, it also has some depth to it and some guidance and good intention is what I really like about cartoons from like the 80s and 90s and the early aughts um and you can cut all this out because it's kind of a hot take but like the reason I don't really watch the uh the the more recent cartoons or rewatch them as much is because a lot of them are they have some good ones but a lot of them are like really nihilistic Mm. or, or like negative they're funny but there's not a lot more to them yeah and uh i was i watched this critic on youtube called uh bob bob chipman or movie bob and like he was talking about cartoons today and he's like yeah a lot of cartoons today are made from millennial parents they're not made for kids and um when i can find a cartoon that really has those good lessons like uh wander over yonder is like a more recent oh, one that that's i so adore good it's so good and all he wants is for hater to be his friend yeah. and the hater just can't meet him where he is because hater's <laughs> got his own baggage man but oh yeah. yeah and 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 wander's horse i forget her name oh whatever her name is the horse like she sees the, the dynamic at work she's like come on yep. Wander, come on and he's like <laughs> he's like nope I'm going to go into this exactly the way I always do it. And and he always makes the universe a slightly better place with that attitude, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like persistence and love. Just persistence <laughs> and love. Yeah. It's just like he... Optimus Prime doesn't give up on the humans, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it, he, he believes in people, right? Uh, and that's yeah. what Wander Over Yonder is all about. And it is beautifully done. It's gorgeous mm-hmm. designs. It's wildly funny. Like watching Hater completely unspool. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's the best. But yeah, I, I feel like there's a, an unfortunate suspicion of sincerity. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and, and I feel like people, when you say things like lessons in a story, it's like, yeah, well, a lesson doesn't have to be somebody turning to the camera saying, this is the lesson of the day. The lesson can be baked into the thing to such a degree that it just works on you and you just receive mm-hmm. it and you're not aware it's happening. You know, not, not I'm going to get into a hot take, Ashley. It's like like when I think okay. of like when I think of um, religious ceremony, right? Like mm-hmm. I know that's a hot subject itself, but like mm-hmm. I'm like, well, 
but they're very ancient. And I know like organized religion of all stripes have all sorts of problems and all sorts of like like real world issues that need to be addressed and remediated. But mm -hmm. the, the 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 ritual like has been developed for centuries and it's mm -hmm. been developed in such a way that it works on you. So I think like mm -hmm. when you like if you take that away, you take away like the idea yeah. of like performing the ritual, going through the story, going through the act of the story, like that's the thing that's valuable, not mm -hmm. the trappings that we put over top of it. Yeah. Right. And the and, soul. Yeah, the, the soul, soul of the, the story. Thing. Yeah, and I feel like these these stories, like when people, like I, you know, I get like really itchy when people start talking about like, oh, they were just hacking it in. Oh, that's not really mm -hmm. literature. Like, okay, well, except that for the fact that these people knew that they were working for a specific audience and they were they knew that they had a job to write something that has entertainment. Look at the jets smashing through buildings, literally smashing through buildings. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. You know, it's yeah. better than my imagination. But it also had to do something that worked on you. You know, and I, I, yeah. I really get stuck on that phrase. Like it, it just, it, you receive it. I, I didn't, as an 11 year old, I was never going like, well, today I learned that Optimus Prime, you know, had to grow <laughs> in this way. You know, it's just like, if you were to ask me, I'd be like, oh, I love the part when Optimus like didn't fight back when all the humans were throwing garbage at him. Why? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just, it was cool. It was something really cool about him being brave. I don't know, you know? So, but yeah, I, I feel, I, I, I feel a very similar kind of like uh sort of sadness that we don't see as much of that kind of sincerity in the storytelling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you could be smart and sincere. Right. Yeah, I hey, think so. I think... <laughs> Cynicism isn't isn't always intelligence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ashley, I'm so glad I got to talk with you about this. Thank you so much. Me too. That was great. Thank you for inviting me. Before we head out, is there anything that you know you're working on, exploring, anything that you are super interested in that anybody who's been listening to this says like, hey, that actually sounds like a pretty cool person. I bet I, I like what Ashley likes. What what should they look at? Okay, so if you think that I had some interesting thoughts, I have written a fantasy comedy novel. Um, it's on Amazon and Kindle. It's called Phony Potions, and it's under the pen name Sinia She, which is a S Y N I A and then S I D H E. It's like Irish. So oh. yeah, and it's kind of like a funny fantasy novel about kind of a comedic narcissistic character stumbling his way through uncovering a mystery and saving his daughter oh my gosh oh so cool okay so spell that one more time Sinia. oh uh Sinia s-y-n-i-a and then she s-i-d-h-e all right phony potions yep i will find it oh so cool well thank you thank you ashley this was super fun and thank you jersey i, I would love to time. do it again me too. <laughs> awesome. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4 Million Years Later at gmail.com. 
Visit 4millionyearslater.com and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. <laughs>